God's good? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let's just pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace, O Lord. We praise you, we worship you, O Lord. We are so grateful, O Lord, that you have become our God. You have become our Savior. You have become our friend, O Master. We could not have ever earned any of those things, O Master. If it were not out of your abundant favor, abundant mercy towards each one of us. Father, we come before you as a family, Lord, each one of us, wanting to hear from your word, O Lord, to see the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ and to, Lord, to receive out of that beauty everything we need for life, Lord. Teach us, Holy Spirit, abide with us and stir our hearts, for in you, we find our wholeness. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. Uh, I, uh, uh, last time we had talked about, we had a powerful word uh, about casting out the mountain. Obviously, it was, we, uh, it was a long message, but we did cover a lot of ground. Uh, we are not going to get into all of that today, but I encourage you to listen to that word, uh, casting out the mountain, uh, and understand that and share share that uh, in your own words. Uh, encourage people to cast out mountains in every area of your of their lives. You know uh, that mountain is both your good works <laughs> and your evil works. Both are an obstacle to receiving your blessing. And you'll say, why a good work is the obstacle to blessing? Yes, because then you depend on it for your uh, miracle. Your miracle doesn't come because of your works. The miracle comes because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can always remember throughout your work day, your work week, in every challenge that you hear, what mountain is stopping this miracle from me? Is it my good works or is it my fallings and my weaknesses or my iniquities? What is stopping the miracle? See, both are evil and you speak against it and you call forth the favor of God to come upon you. Amen? So I want you to go back and read the scriptures, build on it. You know, uh, Alkesh and Manisha, they did a great job. They actually transcribed that whole message on cast out that mountain word word to word and they sent it to me and man it's such it was such a blessing when i read it you know because we uh, many of the time when we when we take when i prepare when we look at the words we don't really you know we don't know what we are going to speak we are led by the holy spirit and the holy spirit just brings out the truths when as as we meet together and share so that material is available if anybody wants i can send it out you know hopefully one day we will kind of make it into a booklet or something and we can actually distribute it in the days to come. But I'm excited about the word today. Uh, God's word is always good, always builds you up. And the title of the message is The Face of Jesus. The Face of Jesus. You will learn something so beautiful uh, about the power, the benefit, and the implication of the face of Jesus, you know. So uh, I was I was taking this message, and I told Milu, I'm going to title this message as "Preach the Face." <laughs> Milu said, "Don't, please, please, don't, don't, don't title that. Preach the Face." You know. I said, "Okay, then let's put it like the face of Jesus." He said, "Okay, that's better." <laughs> you know. So, 
but the real title is preach the faith you know <laughs> okay so are you ready for the word so let me let me um, share the uh, screen let's go let's go to genesis chapter 1 Genesis chapter 1. You know, uh, the other day I was having, uh, I was preparing, uh, just meditating and my quiet and the Lord told me that, don't you know that the, the Godhead appears in the first three verses in the Bible? And I was like, where? It is there. <laughs> so let's look at that and I'll show you the plan of God right from the beginning was a joint plan. It was the Godhead working in cohorts with each other. And let's look at the verses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to... 1 and 2. One, let's 1, 2, but let's also take 3. But let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's who shows up here. God the Father shows up. God created the heavens and the earth. Let's look at the next verse. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, who shows up here? The Spirit of God. But where is the sun? So very interesting, right? You don't see the sun out here, correct? But there is the sun. Look at the word, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on what? The face. the face. Darkness was on the face of the deep. Whose face is this? You'll say it is the earth, correct? But there was one person in the Godhead who traded that darkness onto his face. Who was who who in the Godhead traded the darkness? Jesus. The Lord Jesus. What happened to his face? Marred and it was without form. Without form. Did you see the verse that when it came to the face of Jesus, his face was marred and became disfigured that no one could see it. It became formless because he was taking the work of darkness and without form of the earth. Brothers and sisters, the Godhead shows up in the first two verses in the Bible. In, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Because that was not because of God. That was because that creation had fallen. Something had happened in the earth. Sin had come into the earth. And everything became empty and without form and chaos. And darkness became. But guess what? In that is the clue. The darkness was on the face of the deep. Because on somebody's face, that darkness would ultimately get transposed. So that the perfection of the face of Jesus can come upon an earth which did not have a form and which was full of darkness. So that trading happened. That trading happened immediately. That's a beauty part of it. Now let's look at it. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the what? Waters. No. The face of the waters. So what is the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's job is to affirm the work of the face. I know we are going a little deep, but I want you to stay with it. And I will show you through scripture what's going on. 
the Holy Spirit can only do what Jesus finished work is. The Holy Spirit's job is to take the face of Jesus and reflect it on the chaos and darkness in people's life. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is now waiting on this chaotic earth and waiting to see whose face? The face of Jesus. Because what is he going to do is, he's going to take the darkness from the earth and put it on the face of Jesus so that the light of Jesus can shine on the earth. And the earth receives all the blessings of Jesus and Jesus receives all the darkness of the earth. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. You got it? Okay, stay with me. Look at the next verse. And the and God did exactly that. And God said, let there be light. Who is this light? He's not talking about the sun. The sun is not even created at this point of time. He's talking about Jesus. How do we know that? We talks about in 2 Chronicles chapter, uh, we'll cover, 2 Chronicles will cover that passage where he specifically said that this light that God speaks in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 is the light of Jesus Christ. Very, very clear. It has nothing to do with Physical, uh, Einstein pre-primordial uh, pre light. <laughs> it is not Einstein's primordial light or Stephen Hawking's first light in the universe. No, this is not that light. This is the light that is going to drive out every darkness in the world. That will make right every void and every sickness and every disease. It's that light. And God says, God the Father says, let there be light. That means what he's really saying is what? He's saying, let the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus shine forth. Let me repeat. When he says, let there be light, this is what he's saying. Let the perfection, the righteousness shine forth in the face of Jesus Christ. Can I repeat it again? So when, says, when God says, let there be light, he's saying, let the perfection and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ shine forth in his face. So basically, Jesus, God the Father turns to Jesus and says, he says, show your face. <laughs> so remember, Facebook and FaceTime is God's idea. <laughs> the whole book is about the face. Facebook is God's idea. FaceTime is God's idea. It started here. He says, Je Jesus, show your face. Guess what happened? Who saw the face? Verse 4. Then God saw the light. So let's, what is the light? The perfection and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ in his face. God saw it. And what did God say to that? It was good. It is good. You see, that's, that's the response. See, even God, the Father, couldn't do anything apart from the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus was all his victory. And his first response to that face was what? It is good. It is good. 
his Jesus ministry started. Now, this is his eternal ministry. Before the foundation of the world, this is his ministry. It started by what declaration from God the Father? It is good. Jesus' earthly ministry, when he came to earth to drift and show what the Father saw, he had to show that on, a, on the earth. He had to show his face. So he shows up as a full-grown man. See, he, God didn't want to see the face of an infant boy. God didn't want to see the face of a 13-year-old boy. God wanted to show man which face? Which, what age? Mature. Mature. Full grown. 30 years old. Fully grown in the righteousness. Fully obedient. Fully perfect. And he said, show now. Shine forth now. See, till then he was hidden. Because he had not fully matured in his perfection and his righteousness. So that is the reason when Jesus came to John to be baptized, what did John tell Jesus? He said, why are you coming to be baptized by me? I need to be baptized by you. See, Jesus makes a very interesting response to that statement. Jesus said, permit it so, for thus it is needed, needed to fulfill all righteousness. What righteousness? He's saying, I am fully righteous. When, when now I subject myself to come under the waters of the Jordan, that is my final act of obedience that I am willing to die. Jordan is always a picture of death in the Hebrew language. Yarden means the lowest point. The, the down and down. The lowest point. By the way, you remember in the book of Jonah, Jonah went from Tarsh, uh, from, from Israel, he went down to Tarshish. From Tarshish, he went down to a ship. From the ship, he went down into the bottom point. Have you seen that thing? Because that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, he went down, he became humbled himself as a man. Then he humbled himself under the law. Then he humbled himself under death. Then he humbled himself of a death of a cross. Four levels of lowering himself so that he can show his obedience of, of his righteousness. That's exactly that. Four levels are mentioned in Philippians. Because the four levels of Jonah were the four levels of Jesus. And what happened when J Jonah came to the fourth level? What did they do to Jonah? They threw him overboard. <laughs> because they could only get saved if Jonah was thrown overboard. We could only get saved when Jesus, after he had come to the lowest level, could be thrown overboard. It's, everything is about the Lord Jesus Christ. You got it? So there it is. So, and, and so at the, at the river Jordan, he tells uh, John, permitted be so to fulfill all righteousness. And then he gets baptized. After he gets baptized, that means he becomes obedient to the point of death. And he, when he comes out of the water, what is the declaration that he hears from God the Father? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The moment God the Father made that declaration over him, he, that, this is very similar to the declaration that he just said here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 
4. He said, God saw the light that it was good. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The moment he said that, he said, let light go forth. From that time, John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. See, until then, John didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. John knew Jesus as a righteous cousin. John knew Jesus as a good man. John never knew Jesus as the light of the world. Suddenly, Satan knew Jesus was the Son of God. How come Satan never tested him? Till 30 years have happened. Because Satan didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God. Because God had not permitted that light to shine in the world. Except only after the declaration that he is good. That brings you to the most important point. If you want to receive the ministry of this face, what should be your response to this ministry, to this light? It is good. It is good. You wake up every day morning saying, Jesus, your face is good. Your face towards me is good. Your face towards me is not set against evil against me. Your face to me is good. I have no doubts about your face towards me. You wake up and call him good. Isaiah talks about it. If you call the name of the Lord honorable, you will. if you rest on the Sabbath, I will cause you to ride the high hills of the earth. Because you just call God honorable. You call Jesus honorable. Just call Jesus good. You know, I'm telling you, there is one of the most simple things. There is a song called, uh, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. I'm telling you, that is the most powerful truth that God is good to me. How do I know it? How do I know? Like, for example, if somebody tells you, Sushil, the principal's office is calling you. So what's Sushil's response typically when he was a student? Yeah, I, I'm in trouble because nobody wants to face the principal. Why? Because you are expecting judgment. But when you wake up right now, you say, my, the face of my God, my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, is always to do something good. So if you hear the Lord Jesus Christ calling you in the morning, what's your response to him? Let me see your face. What good thing is he going to do for me today? So you go with that expectation that face of the Lord Jesus Christ is a face of no condemnation. Write it down. The face of the Lord Jesus Christ is the face of no condemnation. I want you to remember that. See, unlike a man's face that you are never sure about whether it is against you or for you or whether it is pleased with you or it is displeased with you the face of the Lord Jesus Christ brothers and sisters is always for you why is it always for you because he did the trading of the darkness on his face paid the price that he can rightfully give the light to you now there is nothing for him to exact out from you because the price he paid he didn't ask you to pay he paid the darkness came on him so his face now towards you is constantly full of compassion and mercy and never judging you. Now once you have the picture of the face of Jesus towards you as a face of no condemnation, 
my goodness, in the face of the king is great favor. Can you imagine if somebody says, hey, the president of United States is calling you to Washington, D.C. because he wants to have an in-person meeting with you. Now, because he knows that he is for you, you know that you are excited to go and meet him because you know he's for you. That is why I love the song that Sushil just played uh, in the worship. The face of the Lord. May, let his face shine upon you. Okay, let's go to Isaiah chapter 52. Where did this face get void and without form? Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. Uh, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, you can read it. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be made very high. Now he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. Just as many were astonished at you, he's talking to Isaiah, so, look at this, his vis visage will be marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So what was the first judgment? Where does judgment begin for Jesus? Where did it begin? It began with his face. Guys, you all need to remember this. I'm telling you, you will see this and it will bless you. The, the moment Jesus was judged, both by God and by men, you'll say, but God did not judge Jesus. Yes, he judged Jesus. Because he judged you in his, uh, judged Jesus in your place. He judged you. Remember when, uh, when uh, Joseph was um, tempted by Potiphar's wife? What did he say when he ran away from her? Against the Lord. You see, every sin is against the Lord Jesus, uh, against the Lord, God the Father. Every sin. So, who is the victim of every sin? The, God the Father. God the Father is the victim of every sin that you commit. It, it, it has collateral damage on the earth as uh, against your neighbor. But against a, a, the ultimate victim who has to suffer is God. Because he's the one who created you. It is you, he, you are his position. And when you malfunction, who loses? Like for example, you have a car and your car malfunctions. Who loses? Somebody else or you? You, the one who possesses you. So when we are his creation, when we sin, we malfunction, it robbed God of everything. It robbed you of a fellowship with the Father. It robbed God of his unconditional love that he can give to you because he cannot have communion with an unholy vessel unless that unholy part of it has been taken care of. And he had to take it care on the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, there you go. So, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So what happened at the cross was, his, that is why darkness came on the cross during that time. Remember there was darkness for three hours. It was completely because the, his face, the face of Jesus Christ had completely disfigured. People could not see what happened. Both in the spirit and in the natural, his face had completely disfigured. It had already got disfigured when he was beaten and spit upon by uh, the guards and by the high priest uh, staff and by the soldiers. But more than that, it was disfigured by all the evil 
that came upon him, his face. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Let's see where the judgment happened. Matthew chapter 26, verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he's talking about Jesus, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now we have heard his blasphemy. So now they are getting ready to pass a sentence on him. What do you think? They answered and, and said, he is deserving of death. So now they, have, they, just, they just had a council. Now they're deciding what is, he, what is the judgment upon Jesus. And they said, he is deserving of death. So next verse. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of his hand. Where did the judgment begun? began? The moment he was accused? The moment he was deemed as deserving of death. What was, where did the judgment begin? On his face. They spat on his face. Why? Why did judgment begin on the face? Because it's mimicking what God did over the darkness over all the earth. Because his face is which will reflect the righteousness to you. And why is it important? Because I'm trying to prove, I'm showing you through the scripture that the face of Jesus is your glory. The face of Jesus is your righteousness. So if you do not see the face of Jesus, you will not know that you are righteous. It is in the face of Jesus that you receive your exchange. Okay, let's read Luke chapter 22. Different gospel. Different gospel. Again, recounting the event of crucifixion. So... Luke chapter 22, verse six, uh, 62. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now this is in the garden of Gethsemane. G Peter just was, was just betrayed Jesus. Uh, actually, he was in the court. He was in the court when he, he, uh, he denied knowing Jesus three times. And then immediately look at the first sign of judgment coming upon Jesus. The first sign. Luke chapter 22 verse 63. Now the men who had held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him saying, prophesy, who is the one who struck him? So where did the judgment start in Luke chapter for Jesus? Struck him on the face. The first level is struck him on the face because that face is Satan's job is to make sure that the face of Jesus does not reflect on his captives. That's his only responsibility. He doesn't care anything else. Do not shine the face of Jesus on his captives. Because the moment you see the face of Jesus, you will receive no condemnation. You will receive no shame. You will receive your victory and your supply. And you will be free. He knows it. So he will hide that face from you. You know, um, uh, I, I used to work in a country, and I leave it unnamed. Uh, so uh, it, I used to uh, uh, work in a large company. It was one of the prime uh, major dealers of automobiles. And I used to work as a product manager for Lexus in that country. So the, uh, the, the one who owned the whole company used to live in Paris. So he was the boss. He owned the whole company. So he had 
he had appointed managers in this country that I worked in. So, so I never knew the boss. But I worked under all the directors and the um, general managers in this company. So they kept on telling that the boss in uh, Paris wants this and this. He is very harsh. He is very strict. I had no idea how he is. But he, they never would expose the boss to the employees. So every email that came from the boss was sanitized before it came to us. So we, are, we never knew, how, we just knew from photographs how he looked. So he was always a rude guy. He's a very harsh guy. He's a very demanding guy. He has to, you have to be very straight. He cannot tolerate any sales, uh, uh, fall in sales and all the stuff, right? One day, I think after about uh, two years, he actually visited the office, the corporate office where our office was. Oh my goodness, we were not even allowed to go into the area where he visited. We were hiding behind the doors. We said all the management doors, everything has to be closed because nobody should expose himself to the boss because the boss only wants to deal with the core high-profile managers. And we were looking from behind the doors and the guy looked pretty nice. <laughs> so it's like, and for the first time, we are like, man, this guy is not that bad. He seems to be dealing very nice. Why were they trying to control the face of the boss from the employees? Why? Because then they can control the population. That's what Satan does. Doesn't want to tell you how good and compassionate the God the Father is. Because God the Father cannot see. Nobody can see God the Father. Remember Jesus himself said, no one can see the Father. So guess what? Because he's invisible, nobody can see him. Satan can always say, you know what? God is a very harsh God. He's, he's a very demanding God. You make a mistake, you die. You make a mistake, you die. You sin, you die. You know, until God the Father had to send his son and say, guess what? He is my face. That's my face. This is how he is. That's how I am. And then everybody's like, how, how is he so compassionate? Is he not judging people? What's going on? And they were like drawn to Jesus. And they couldn't understand. They are reading in the Torah and in the law that God is a consuming fire. And they look at the face of Jesus as a God, as a, as a, as a man who's fully compassionate. And it doesn't make sense. And the Pharisees are saying, no, 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 no. This is not God. This is a heathen. This is a false prophet. Don't follow him. God is Hate sinners. God is up on the throne and against you. And Jesus at the same time was trying to get across that God is compassionate and full of mercy and abundant in long suffering. Amazing, right? God the Father had to send his face on the earth in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they saw Jesus, everybody Drew, ran after the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, Satan still keeps that face hidden from believers. He still keeps that face hidden from unbelievers. Why? Because he knows if anybody would see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be changed. They say, no, 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 no. The boss lives in Paris. His demands are very high. 
you cannot see him, you have to perform, meet standards, then we'll introduce you to the boss. No, no. The boss is in town. His name is Jesus. He's shown up. It's too late right now. The, the, the news is out. The boss is not rude. He's just like me. He looks like me. He walks like me. He has compassionate on me. He feels my feelings. My goodness, do you believe? And he died for me. He took my place. And now you can go to him every day without any fear because he is the one who took your darkness. Hallelujah. Are you excited about that? You're excited that this judgment that has taken on the Lord Jesus Christ is for your benefit? Amen. Okay, let's go quickly to, I don't know whether you will cover all the part, but if you can just get a glimpse of what the Lord wants to share with you, it'll be blessed. Let's look at, look, at, look at this. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And this is God with Adam and Eve before sin. Right? He's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. How many of you will agree he walked with them in the cool of the day? Right? Everybody knows that. Correct? Okay, now this, this was is just after they had just sinned. Right? They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Now, we have ha- covered that in other life team messages. What is the knowledge of good and evil? Anybody? The law. The law, correct? Because that was the law. The law is the one which said, you, if you do this, you will live. If you don't do this, you will die. That's the demand. That, that, was, a, that was the law. And God said, don't eat of the law. Because that law is just meant to tell you that you can never keep it. Except in Christ Jesus. Don't try to test yourself. You know, a lot of people want to go to the law and prove themselves. And I, I last time we shared that, that's so beautiful. This, it, this is a test that it has an auto response. Every time you take the test, it comes with an auto response. And what is the auto response? Me. You're failed. <laughs> you, you just log in and sign in and you, 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 you don't even have to answer the first question. It, it sends you an order response, welcome to the law. You have failed. <laughs> so it's like, don't even try taking this test, right? So, and, and God had told you, I have put the law in the center of the garden, but it is not for you to take it. It is just for you to know that you cannot keep it. So, and what does Satan does? Satan will always tell you to take that test. Why does, how is he so confident that you will not clear that test? We'll always fail. That's why he'll always tell you, go take the test. That's why every religion in the world is telling their followers to take their test. Islam says, okay, there are how many, how many steps is there Islam has? Five. Five steps, correct? Uh, the Buddhists have laws. Hindus have laws. Every religion, even the cults of Christianity have laws. Why? Because they're telling, okay, take the test. Uh, 70% is a pass. <laughs> but that's a lie. How much is a pass? 100%. 100% is a pass. He never tells you that. He never tells you that. That 100% is a pass. He tells, you know, try. Try. Then we'll, we'll, we'll work on a deal. If you're like 55%, you know, there's no deal. You cannot, either you pass all or you fail. 
It's amazing. You know, I, I, I was I, I was talking, I was uh, I was reading this, and we we covered it in the last message. But uh, remember, Jesus when he came to the earth, he wanted to do the impossible thing for man, like heal. Uh, cast out demons, but before he could do that, he always had to throw out this mountain, the law, out from their midst, correct? So he had to uh, throw the law, and he always did that. It's a beautiful example, and I don't have time to cover this, but I want you to go back and read, and we'll take this passage one of these days. Remember a rich young man came to Jesus and asked him, what good thing must I do, good teacher, that I may be saved? <laughs> Look at the amount of good in his <laughs> question, good teacher, good thing that I might have life. Jesus immediately, what, 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 what did Jesus do? Immediately. Correct. Jesus immediately threw the mountain out. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Means what is Jesus trying to say? Don't take the test. Don't take the test. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's, he's already telling you the answer to the rich young man. So the rich young man is trying to say, can I take this test? Jesus is saying, why are you, why are you taking this test? No one can pass this test except God. So he doesn't answer that question, you know. <laughs> because why? Why does the rich young man never answer that question? Because he wants to take the test. So Jesus waits for some time and then he says, uh, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So he said, okay, you want to take the test, go and take the test. So then he says, <laughs> so this guy, <laughs> so this rich young man ruler, this rich young, young means dumb, right? That's the meaning of the young. <laughs> the, the translation of the word young means dumb, <laughs> you know? The rich, dumb ruler. He, Jesus doesn't say that. I'm telling you that. Because, because he thinks that he can keep the test. So he's, and he has the audacity to ask, which commandments? I mean, Jesus gives him six. There are actually ten. But Jesus is like, okay, start with the six, right? So, and then he, he continues being dumb. He says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Wow. Okay, Jesus said, hmm, interesting. See, Jesus never condemns him. See, because Jesus is not, see, he's not uh, giving the test because he doesn't want the guy to be condemned. He's trying to get him to see that he can never keep the test. See, he never condemns him. In fact, he says, he, Jesus looked at him with great compassion. And he says, one thing you lack. He doesn't tell that you lack all the 10 things. <laughs> he doesn't even say that. I mean, if, if you and I would be there, what do you mean you kept six? You failed all, you know? But Jesus says, one thing you lack. One thing, one thing, one thing. Only one thing. Because the law is not about keeping all. Uh, all. You just have to break one and you just failed it. And he says, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. It's like, wow. Then he said I he couldn't do that. He's like, okay. So that's, he got him to a place where he could realize that he cannot take the test. But what was the mistake that the rich young man did? He walked away from the one who would give it to him free. Because Jesus had given him the way. He said, why do you call me good? If he had answered that question, he would have got what he came for. How? Yeah, no. 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You are God. You are God. The moment if he had said Jesus Christ is God, Jesus would have said, you have kept, you have been perfectly righteous. You are entered into life without bypassing the law. By, by bypassing the law. Why? Because you have called me God. You call me good. Right? And that's the beauty. Okay, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And they, they had just sinned and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Question. The word presence in this in, in this verse, in the Hebrew, is what? Face. The face. It is penel. Penel means pen L. L is God. Pen is face. Penel. Penel. By the pena of the Lord. Pena of the Lord is the face of the Lord. See, the presence is, is an English translation. So what were they hiding from? The face of the Lord God. See the word L-O-R-D is capitalized and God. Who is he talking about there? No. Jesus. See whenever L is capitalized in the Bible. God is Elohim. God the Father. L-O-R-D is Yahweh. The revealed name of God is the revealed. What was revealed God? What is the revealed name of God. The revealed name of God is Yeshua, the name of Jesus. See, he is the revealed. His name was revealed. His face was revealed. His image was revealed. Everything revealed about God the Father is Jesus. See, God is spirit. No one can see him. He is an invisible God. But the revealed God, his name is Jesus. The revealed God is Jesus. So everywhere in the Old Testament, if you have seen God, you have seen Jesus. Because no one can see God. Whose words are that? Jesus himself. Do you know Jesus knows what is he talking about? When Jesus says no one has seen God, is there a credibility to it? Because if, I say, if Alke says no one has seen God, how, how much value will I put on him? To some value because he's a, he's a good man. But he's only lived so many years on the earth. He doesn't know all the people who lived before. He doesn't know all the people who live after him. But when Jesus says no one has seen God, he's been with God from eternity. So he says no one has seen God except the son of God. And he will declare him. You see that thing? See, Jesus shows how the father looks. How does he show it? It's in his face. The face of Jesus is the face of the father. So what were Adam and Eve hiding from? They were hiding from the face of Jesus Christ. Why were they hiding from the face of Jesus Christ? What do you think? Why did they hide from the Lord Jesus Christ? Because of the law they accepted. Correct. Because the law told them that God is against them right now. Correct? But did Jesus hide his face from them or they hid their face from Jesus? That's the implication. Does God 
in his, the revealed nature of God, in his compassion, does he hide his face from fallen man? Then who hides the face from a righteous God? Man himself. And why? Correct. And who is driving this? Satan. And yeah, I, I, you're, going to, you're going to understand some real powerful truths. Right? Are you ready to hide? Even from a sinful man, Jesus Christ never hid his face. Let me repeat. Even from a sinful man, the Lord Jesus never hid his face. How did he? He did not. You knew it. He came when we were all sinners. We, three and a half years, he was not dealing with righteous men. He was dealing with prostitutes and tax collectors and everybody a sinner. But he never revealed, hid his face from them. Why would he hid his face from Adam and Eve? He didn't. He didn't. Brothers and sisters, get this in your spirit. God the Father, through his son Jesus Christ, never hid his face even after he, they sinned. Then who hid their face from Jesus? They themselves. Why did they hide their face from Jesus? What was provoking them? Come on, I'm looking for the answer. What, what drove them to hide their face from the Lord Jesus Christ? What about them? Rebellion. I agree. That was the word. That was the works. Rebellion. But what? What about them? Shame. Yeah, they felt shame. But what was driving them? They felt shame because now they cannot see the face of Jesus Christ. Their flesh. The flesh. What, what, what about their flesh? You're coming close. Okay. The word starts with the word see. Their conscience. Their conscience, their conscience drove them from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Did the conscience do a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. See, sin consciousness is evil. But you say, but that is what drives you to repentance. No, not when you're a believer. As a believer, you should be righteousness consciousness, not sin consciousness. You got it? This is what Satan is after. He wants your consciousness to be so sensitive that you are so sensitive to your flesh. You're so sensitive to sin that you drive away from the face that will impute you righteousness. I know I've said a lot of words. Sin, con your conscience is evil when you are not born again. After you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit and he is your conscience that will affirm the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is what drives them away from Jesus Christ. And I will prove it to you in, in when Jesus handles the adulterous woman in the, in, the, in the New Testament. But let's stay with me here. So their consciousness, uh, their conscience drives them away from the face of Jesus Christ. That face was what was this face ready to do to Adam and Eve? What was it face ready to do to Adam and Eve? Forgive. To forgive, to cover them, correct? And which is what the Lord did. He, he, he took skin and covered them. See, if he wants to want to run away from them, he would have run away. Why was he trying to make a provision for it? 
because that was, he called them. In fact, the first question, let's, let's read the next question. Verse, uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? This is not, this is not a God who is hiding his face from them. Okay, let's read the next word. And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. Okay, look at the next verse. This is so beautiful. Then God said, God, God Lord, which is the Lord Jesus Christ here. And he said, who told you that you were naked? See, if you and I would be in their place, what would be our question to them? Jesus is more concerned with who is the accuser rather than did you commit the sin? Look at his focus. The Lord's focus at this point of time is not whether Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. His question is, who told you that you are naked? Wow. His, his, pri- his primary preoccupation is who is condemning you? Who is condemning you? I have a problem with that. Who is condemning you? See, that's his, he's, he's not, he knows that they have sinned. Do you think that they, he doesn't know that they have sinned? You think it's like a surprise. Oh, 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 you, you sinned? Oh, you what? You just ate? Man, he, when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he's standing next to him. Because the Bible says the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. Who is the tree of life? Jesus, Jesus Christ is the tree of life. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, I am in the midst of the garden. In fact, in Revelation, Jesus shows up in the midst. And he's always in the midst. Who is in the midst? The tree of life. He is the tree of life. <laughs> so Jesus is standing here. They, they are, instead of coming to eat from him, they go and eat from the law, which is, he, he gave the law, but he told, don't eat of it because only I can keep the law. So they all come to show themselves strong by eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And they are just next to him. So he's eating. So he knows that they've just eaten of the tree of life. But Jesus asked them, who told you that you're naked? That's the primary question. Who told you that you are unrighteous? Whose witness are you receiving? Whose fruit are you eating? Whose face are you feeding from? So on a daily basis, the face of Jesus affirms your righteousness. When you walk away from that face, you feel condemned. But when you see the face of your mother, <laughs> have, you, have you noticed? You talk to them, they, they interview serial killers all the time. And then they interview their mothers. What do their mothers talk about their serial killer sons? My child can do no wrong. <laughs> In the eyes of a mother, your child can do no wrong. In the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are blameless. How would you know that? You can only know that by looking at his face on a daily basis. He is the perfect law of liberty mirror that James talks about. Did you know the perfect law of liberty mirror that shows up in James? He says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and forgets what he looks, he is not a doer of the word. 
If you look into this mirror, Jesus' face is a mirror. If you look into this mirror, you see yourself. But you see yourself perfect like Jesus is perfect. And if you walk away from that mirror and say you are a sinner, you are just forgotten what you look like. Because you are going to do something about it. What is a mirror that is a perfect law of liberty? Okay, when you look at your natural mirror in your bathroom, does it tell you to do something or does it tell you to chill, Alkesh? Everything is fine. Relax. Everything is perfect. Don't do nothing. Or does it tell you, man, you got work to do. <laughs> See, what does a mirror do? The mirror is always telling you what? Yes, you, you got work to do. But the perfect law of liberty. So if there's a mirror that if I could title as the perfect law of liberty, what would that mirror do, tell you? So every time you walk up to this mirror, this mirror will tell you what? Perfect. Perfect. So that's the mirror that James says the Jews were not... See, James had, was writing to, to the Jews. And the Jews were... <laughs> that these Jews are listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That righteousness does not come from the law. It comes from Jesus Christ. So they would listen to the gospel of Jesus and then go to the temple and do the sacrifices and pass the test and then come back feeling condemned that I am a sinner. So James is saying, guys, what are you guys doing? Do the word. Be a doer of the word. Don't just be a hearer. Hearing which word? No, 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 no. no. They are hearing the word of righteousness that comes from Jesus and they are not doing it. How do you do the word of righteousness that comes from Jesus? By doing nothing. <laughs> you, this is how you do You rest. You believe it because it's a perfect law of liberty. That means you do not have to work. So that, only one mirror will tell you that. Which is that mirror, Bobby? The, the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus. So that's why every day in your quiet time, in your meditate, your job, your assignment is what? To look at the face of Jesus and receive a witness from that face. And what is that witness from that face you want to receive? That I am righteous. What else? That we are as he is. What else? I am perfect. I lack nothing. Okay. This is exciting. I, I want you to go to James chapter. Because we are talking about James. This is powerful. Because James is so misunderstood. People use the book of James and condemn Christians. Because they have totally missed what James is talking about. James is writing to the Jews who are listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But are not ready to take the step to walk in. Okay, let's look at James. James chapter uh, 1 verse 2. It says, my brethren, now he's writing to the Jews who are suffering all these trials and tribulations. They're saying, my brethren, he's not writing to believers because he's writing to brethren. Who are the brethren? He introduces the brethren in verse 1. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Is he writing to Cajun folk, Indian folk? Who, who is he writing to? He's talking to Jews? Is he, is he specific? He's writing to Texans? He's writing to the Americans? He's writing to the Hispanics? Who is he writing to? The 
tribes of the tribes of the Israel. So he says, my brethren, so he's writing to them. He says, calling them my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. He says, great, you're suffering, you're going through all these trials, it's good, right? So because what is this trial supposed to lead them to? To accept Jesus, why? Because only in Jesus you are free. They are going through all this persecution, that suffering and everything. How would they, what, what is their solution? The solution is go to Jesus. So what he says is, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Okay? Look at verse 4. He says, but, but, he says, just don't stop there. Oh, I got a lot of patience. I've gone through a lot of trials in my life, which is what believers do, you right? They go through all these trials and they have patience. But James says, don't stop at patience. What do you do? Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Get on with the program. <laughs> you know, it's like believers. Look, I these trials have built great patience. But I would always tell you, if your trials have brought great patience, get on with the program and go to the perfection in Christ Jesus. Say, come to Jesus. Let it drive to perfection. And what is the perfection? The perfection is the Lord Jesus Christ. That in him, we are perfect, we lack nothing. If you are constantly being told by the law, oh, I'm not righteous, I'm not, I don't deserve this, oh, I, I can never get this best job, I can never get this promotion, because there is always some work that I need to do, or I can never receive my healing, because there are some trials that I have to learn, <laughs> and I need to mature in my life. James, guys, get on with the program. I agree, trials produces patience, but let's let patience, but patience have its perfect work. Come to Jesus, look into the perfect law of liberty and lack nothing. Say, I'm perfect and lack nothing. How do I know that? You say, but my body shows all the symptoms. Go and look at the mirror. When you look at the mirror, something supernatural happens. What happens? When you look into the face of Jesus as he is, so you are. You suddenly become like him. That's the power of this mirror. That mirror says you are perfect. But you say, but my body doesn't show it. Hold on. Keep looking in the mirror. Because one day you feel not okay. Next day you come to the mirror. The mirror still tells you you are perfect. Third day. You come to the mirror. The mirror still tells you you're perfect. You say, like, for example, you go to this mirror on the morning and say, Jesus, what about my healing? Jesus says, Anil, you lack nothing. You're already healed. Okay, the next day, I don't feel healed. I go back to Jesus. And Jesus says, Lord, I need my healing. Jesus says, no, Anil, you're already healed. You're perfect in me. So every day you get washed by this witness that I am healed. Amen? Okay, let's go quickly to... So he says, you, got pay, you, go, you go through all these trials, because the point of the trials is you get you to Jesus. Just don't be happy with patience. Let patience have its perfect work. Means he's saying, let it have. Means what? He's saying it's not automatic. Let it have. Allow, allow it to happen. Go to Jesus. Okay, okay. I, I know the Holy Spirit is heavy here, but look at verse, James chapter 1, verse... Uh, 
23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Okay, what's your natural face? Perfect or imperfect? For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of manner he is. So what is a natural face? Where do you see your natural face? By looking into the perfect law of liberty or looking into the law? Correct. Because the law is meant for your natural face. The law is meant for all your passions and all for your desires. That's where all your, nat your natural part of your life is taken care. So the law is also a mirror. So you, sh you, go, you go with all your, you think your face is perfect. And you go with this perfect face to the law. What does the law say? Not perfect. So now you go away from the law, pretending that you're perfect, and you don't go to Jesus. Why? Because you still want to work. No, 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 no. Because you are thinking that you are? No. Or still lacking. No, you're perfect. See, this is for people like the Jews. They would go to the temple sacrifices and they say, oh, what, you know, we have, we, have, we have done enough good works. We are perfect. And you talk to a lot of people in the world. You, say, you always ask them, are you a good person? What do they say? Yes. I'm a good person. So what are they doing? They, they have a natural face. They look into the natural law and the natural law says what to them? You are, you are, you are, you, you are sick. <laughs> You need a savior. So what do they do when they hear that witness from the law? No, they, they walk away from the law, say that, oh, no, 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 the law actually did not tell that I am bad. It said that I am 90% good. No, no, the law didn't say that. You are telling yourself that. You know, that's, you, you see the deception? It's all over the world. You, you, you talk to anybody, the guy, the guy is a murderer and you ask him, are you a good person? Yeah, you know, I, I killed five, but you know, that one guy when he, when he was dying, I let him go. Or, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll never say, because they will look into the law and find brownie points to tell that they are perfect. They lack nothing. So James says, you guys are, you're not a doer of the word. You go to the perfect law of liberty, go to Jesus, because you're going to the law and the law is telling you're a sinner. And you, but you're, you're, you're forgetting that you are a sinner and you're walking away and from Jesus. Now he turns to the believers. But, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Ah, now he's going to not into the mirror, natural mirror. He's going to the perfect law of liberty. Now he's talking to a believer who has now become a, be a believer. He's come away from the law. Now he looks into the perfect law of liberty. And now when he looks into the perfect law of liberty, what does the law, perfect law of liberty tell a righteous believer? Perfect. So he says, if you continue in it, continue in it, continue in what? Correct. Continue in what? Now you looked into the perfect law of liberty, you look into the face of Jesus. Jesus says to you, George, you're perfect. Okay. Now you walked away from this mirror and continued in it. Means what? You continue to believe that you are what the mirror said you are. Like when you are not tempted to take your hands up and correct your eyebrows. You are tempted to not lift your hands and adjust your hair. Because you remember that the mirror just told you, don't touch nothing. <laughs> you are perfect. Don't mess it up. And you go the whole day 
continuing in this revelation that you received in the morning from Jesus, that you're perfect, means what did you do? You continued in the witness of the perfect law of liberty's witness mirror. Correct? You continued in it. What is the power of this revelation? Look at the next verse. Look at the same verse. Continues in it, and it's not a forgetful hearer, but he's a doer of the work. The, the Bible credits you as a doer of the work. Well, let me ask you a question, George. What work did you do? Believe. Correct. What happens when you do this work? This one. Not all. This one. Say, I am that one. I am that one. What will happen? What is that one? That this one will be blessed in what, in how many things? My goodness, that's the key to your blessing. This man will be blessed. This one will be blessed in all that he does. Do you want to be blessed in everything that you do? What is the key? Continue believing what the mirror says. Correct. Or one word. The key to blessing is FaceTime. (laughs) (laughs) I am telling you, FaceTime is God's idea. FaceTime is God's invention. FaceTime was his plan from the Garden of Eden. Who told you? Who told you that you are naked? See, because they, they, even Adam and Eve had a mirror. It was a walking, talking mirror that kept walking with them in every angle, every posture. How do I look from here, Jesus? Perfect. How do I look from here? Perfect. How do I look at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Perfect. How do I look at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Perfect. How do I look in this lighting condition? Perfect. How do I look when my posture is right? You know, when you take selfies, you want to be the right angle. Not too bloated, not too long, not too high. Oh my goodness, I have a tough time taking selfies with Joanna. What? I look so short. Oh, you made me so long. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You know, that... Jesus was the selfie mirror for Adam and Eve. And they looked perfect. So every day they would walk and they would ask Jesus, Hey Jesus, how do I look? Jesus said, Oh, you look perfect. Oh, you look perfect. Oh, you look glorious. You look right. And they say, Oh, I I don't feel good. Oh, no, 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 no. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. Look in my eyes, daughter. Look in my eyes. You are perfect. And he calls Adam. Adam says, "Uh, Jesus, I am low today. I don't know why. That zebra gave me a tough time. (laughs) Adam, my son, come, come to me, come to me. You know, you are the one who named him. He, He will obey you. You are perfect. You are perfect. So he constantly affirms him. Constantly, because he's telling him perfect. And then one day, Jesus walks up to them and he doesn't see them. The selfie is out here. But the audience, audience is missing. Where are they? They are hiding from the mirror. Because they think that the mirror is going to change the report. But they are mistaken. 
Why? Why? Because yes, they messed up. Yes, you messed up. But he took that on his face. And he gave his righteousness to them as a gift. So when they show up, they never felt, Jesus never said. The only reason that question even came up is have you eaten from the tree of knowledge and good and evil is because they repeated a report. That's when Jesus knew they looked into a different mirror. They said, have you eaten of the tree of, that I told you not to eat? Because they, he's asking, did you go to the mirror? I told you not to go. That is why they stopped being blessed. Not because Jesus cursed them. No, because they walked away from the mirror of the perfect law of liberty, mirror of James chapter 1. And they stopped being blessed. This is powerful. They were out of the garden of Eden, but they were, they were not out from the face of Jesus. Did you know that? Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Does it say God sent him out from his face or from the garden? How do I know that they were still before his face? You don't know at this point of time, correct? You, you, they are out of the garden, but they are not out from the face of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the next word. Let's look at Cain. Now let's hand, uh, talk to a guy who just murdered his brother. Cain, uh, Genesis chapter 4 Verse uh, 10. Now, uh, uh, God shows up to Cain. Now, let me question. I thought they were out from the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of the garden, out from the face. But doesn't look like here is God talking to Cain. So, obviously, Adam and Eve and their children are out of the garden. But still... In the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his presence. Yes or no? Because God is speaking to them. Amen? Okay. And then God. Uh, 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 the Lord said to Cain. And he said. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood. Cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth. Now he tells to uh, uh, Cain. Which has opened his mouth. To receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Now, look at what Cain's witnesses, uh, response to the Lord is. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Next verse. Surely you have driven me out of this day from the face of the ground. Yes or no? Yes. Look at the next verse. I shall be hidden from your face. Is that true? No. no. God never drove him out from his face. Let's look at the next verse. 
verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. Now, God is protecting Cain because he is still before his face. But what does Cain do? Verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. What does the word presence mean? Same word, face. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Did God drive him out from the face of God or Cain went out? Why did Cain go out from his presence? Conscience. See, conscience gets you out from the face of God. So is conscience good or bad? Bad. It's evil because it is it's affirming a report that you are a sinner. But the solution to sin is walking away from the face of Jesus is coming to the face of Jesus. Coming to the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, out of the garden, but not out of the face. Remember that in your mind. Just because you make a mess up in your life doesn't mean that you're out from the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. His face is always in front of you, full of compassion, full of glory. In fact, his face is your righteousness. His glory is your righteousness. His glory is your righteousness. And we don't have time to go into so many other passages and we have to talk about so many things about Jacob and stuff like that. But I want to, I want to, we will talk about one passage and possibly then we will conclude. Let's go to John chapter 8. The most beautiful passage of Jesus addressing and lifting his face up on the face of an adulterous woman. Let's look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verses 2 onwards. Now this is, uh, uh, read, uh, read this passage with me. John chapter 8 verse 2 onwards. Now early in the morning, uh, uh, you don't have to repeat, but I mean just in your minds, you know. So now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and they had set him in the midst. So what is, who is in the midst, Jesus or the woman? The woman. The woman. So your sin is in the midst. So every time Satan puts your sin in the center, not Jesus, he, he is getting ready to do what? Judge you. Judge you and condemn you. Okay. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? That they might, they tested him that they might have something to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as, as though that he did not hear. And when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience... went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Then Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Then Jesus raised himself up and, 
and saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, Now look at his revelation. I am the light of the world. Genesis chapter 1, verse verse 3, correct? When God said, let there be light, and there was light. See, it is in context of physical light or spiritual light. Spiritual and everything spirit, spiritual, the darkness. What darkness is Jesus addressing here? He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the light that of Genesis. And he uses that revelation in context of what? Sin. Who is getting condemned out here? There's a woman who is getting condemned. Now, you know this passage and let me share something very powerful to this. So, they bring a person, a woman who's committed adultery. She's broken the law. They throw the law at her and say, the law says that she should be killed. What do you say? So now they're bringing God in human form who stands to judge evil. And this woman with her sin faces a God who is holy. What should be the outcome? She should die. But what happens at the end of this? She lives. Okay. Now let's understand the progression of why it happens the way it happens. There are two times he stoops down. Two times he raises himself up. Did he get it? Did he read it? Okay, go back and read it. When does he stoop down the first time? What? When does he do it? They and this this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. What are they shouting at Jesus at this point of time? The law. The law is Jesus. Now this they're talking to God. Because Jesus is God. Guys, Jesus is God. See, we never realize when we are reading the gospel. I'm telling you, sometimes it just, it helps. It helps to sometimes not use the word Jesus sometimes in, and say the Lord God when you read the gospel. Because it gives you a picture. Sometimes you just, you just the power of the man Jesus is lost when you know, know that it is God the Father walking in human flesh. When God the Father, so they, now they are speaking to God the Father and he says, kill this woman, kill this woman. The law says kill him. What do you say? What do you say? The law says kill her. What do you say? What does Jesus do? Jesus stoops down, stoops down and, wrote on the and wrote on the ground. What is that stooping down? When man was judging each other, when man was boasting about how perfect they are, God came down on Mount Sinai and wrote on the, ten tab on the two tablets. Why did he write? Because they were 
persisting. Just like here, they were constantly boasting on how good they are and how everybody is evil. See, the law always gives you reasons to say how good you are and how evil others are. And that's the predominant boast of uh, man. Oh, the law gives them the boast. Oh, I kept, I, you know, I didn't keep all the ten, but I definitely kept three. Oh, I'm, I didn't commit adultery, but I, uh, I lie. Oh, I don't kill people, but I steal. You know, just like, they're always judging. The law causes you to become a judge of your fellow brothers. See, that's one of the reasons why Jesus said, judge not. Because he says, for you to judge, what, you, what will you have to bring out from the shelf? Law. The law. The moment you bring out the law from the shelf, what happens? You will be judged. You will be judged. <laughs> so it's right. <laughs> so it's like, why would you want to bring that out? But you are bringing it out thinking what? That you are righteous. That you are righteous and you are perfect. I need my justice. I need justice. I need justice. God says, cool, kill him. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I need justice means kill him. No, 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 no. Let's start with you. First, let me kill you. Then I will address him. But let me start by killing you because the law first did, kills you. That's what he says. He, so this is the why it said, well, they kept pestering him. He, see, when God wrote on Mount Sinai, he didn't give the law in the Garden of Eden. He didn't give it. In fact, he told Adam and Eve, don't eat it. Don't eat it. It's not like, it's like, not like uh, I bring uh, uh, pomegranates from Walmart and I tell the whole household, I brought pomegranates, but make sure you don't eat it. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> the, because the, I, when God, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there not for God to say, come eat of it. He's telling you, don't eat it. It is only meant to know that you cannot boast in it. He's telling you. He told everybody. Nobody can say, I got deceived. He, nobody can say that. So he says, so, they, so man didn't believe it. They said that they were righteous. So he stooped down and wrote. The moment he stooped down and wrote, what happened? Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, so he's writing on, he's writing on the ground, the law. He's, he's, what is he writing? He's accusing, he's writing the law that all of these guys are breaking. And yet, they refuse to read what he's writing. And they continued asking him to kill the woman. He raised himself up and said to him, He who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. What is this raising up? I know he came down on Mount Sinai and wrote the Ten Commandments. But when did he raise himself up as the fulfillment of the law? When did he raise himself up? He, when he was preaching on the mount of beatitudes, he shows up on the mountain and he says, Guys, you think you can keep the law? You say you have not committed adultery? Have you lusted at a woman in your heart? You have committed adultery. 
You say you, you have not murdered a brother? Have you hated a brother? You have murdered him. My goodness, he just goes up to that mountain and says, you have broken all the law. And that's what he's doing out here. He raised himself up and he says, who is it? Who is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. He goes into Israel. He goes as a perfect man. He goes at 30 years old, fully righteous. He's received the, uh, the commendation. There is no point saying I'm righteous. The one who, he, who has to say is, is his father. And his father says you're righteous. And then he goes to that mountain. And he goes and sits on the mountain and says, Now, tell me who is righteous. And there was silence in that whole crowd. Because he says, He whoever builds this house listens to the sayings and does not build a house on the rock, his house will fall. Everybody's house that they were trying to build on the law what, what was going to happen to them? They are all fine. He said, no one can keep the law. Except who? Himself. Himself. That's why he said, which he said. Look at his question. He asked him, what did he say? He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Yes or no? Correct. So he, now this is God speaking. He says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So God the Father is telling that the one without sin has to cast the first stone. Yes or no? So who has to cast the stone? So now, is that good news for the woman or bad news for the woman? Um, actually, bad news. It's bad news. Right there. One second, one second, one second. Think about it. I know you've never studied this passage in this context, but it's very important for you to understand what's happening out here. If in the court, your witness does not show up, can you be convicted? No. 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 Have you committed the crime? Yes, but if there is no witness against you, can you be convicted? Not at all. Not at all. So was it good news for the woman that Jesus was there? Yes. Yes. It was not good news for him. No, one second, one second, one second, one second. Hold on. I, you're going to the good news at the end. At this point of time, is it good news... That Jesus is there. Because there was a one. Guys, think about it. Brothers and sisters, there is a one who does not have sin. And he is a witness that you broke the law. My goodness, when the witness shows up in the court that you didn't want, that will shake you. So everyone starts leaving. Everyone starts leaving. But there is one who does not leave. Who is that one who doesn't leave? The, wit the witness. Who can legitimately accuse her of breaking the law. Correct? Remember, this is a court case. This is 
a judgment right now. She's getting ready to be stoned. So now his first coming, his giving of the law, his stooping down to write on the ground, his raising himself up as a righteous, perfect man. Is it good news for man or bad news for man? Bad news. Bad news for man. See, there is no point meditating on the law and the teachings on beatitudes and receiving your brownie points from it because that is meant to show that the one who cast the first stone is shown up and time to pay. See, you could live your life, all of man could live your life saying that, hey, no one, no one keeps the law, everybody breaks the law. And so no one can be judged because if you're going to judge, you have to kill everybody. Why would God kill everybody? Everything is good and hunky-dory until Jesus showed up. Now the rooster is come home to roost. The son of God has shown up. Now he can declare judgment because he can say, you say the law was tough, no one can keep it. I kept the law. So there is no problem with the law. Now get ready to settle stuff. Is that good news or bad news? Bad news. 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 Now God has a plan. Now he does it justly without being illegal. See, he has to keep the law. He has to execute judgment. He has to judge the sin. So he does what? Look at the next verse. After he did this, verse 8, and again he stooped down. Now why is he stooping down? The law was given two times, right? No. Law was only given once. Yeah. No, it's always once. On Mount Sinai when the law was given, that's it. Why is he stooping down? Remember when was the second time that Jesus stooped down? I shared in the earlier part of the message. When did he come down? Jonah came four times lower in Philippians chapter 2. He came down. He humbled. He humbled. He humbled even to the point of death. He humbled as a man. He emptied himself. First empty of being a God. Then he became a man. That itself is one level. A God becoming a man. Then he became as a bond servant. It's good to become a man, but why don't he become as a king? He became a bond servant under the law. Then as a bond servant under the law, he became obedient to death. Why should he die? Now he not only became, he took, he wanted to die. He took the worst form of death, the death of a cross. So how many levels has he stooped down? Four times he stooped down. Why is, why is he getting ready to stoop down now? He is now getting ready to be the victim of the righteous judgment that he's just about to pronounce. He is going to stoop down and take the stoning that rightfully belongs to the woman. And then what does he stoop down and write this time? He doesn't write the law. What does he write? That I will remember your sins no more. He writes the new covenant. He takes the heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh. He takes the law 
and puts, writes the new covenant, the law of faith. He writes it on everybody's heart. He says, I will never remember your sins no more. He writes a new law because who is going to read this law after the accusers are left? The woman. What is she going to read? Every time she falls under sin, after she walked away from the faith, when she walks away, what's one? She's going to remember. Jesus wrote the new law. He stooped down and wrote. After he took the punishment the the second time, he stooped himself, he wrote a new law. And then he raised himself up. What is the second raising? Resurrection. This is resurrection. What does this resurrection Jesus say? The first, res- the first raising was Jesus raised as a perfect man, the righteous man who kept the law. Raised means he, he was promoted as the perfect man. But the second raising was a physical raising, as a spiritual raising. He raised out of death, but he raised righteous. But his righteousness is for his benefit or your benefit? Our benefit. Look at what he did after he raised himself up. His question to him, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Because the face of Jesus that you see today is the face of the one who raised himself up the second time after dying for you. That's the face that shows up. And he says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to him, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Like when Jesus says to a blind man, be healed. Does the blind man have to do anything about it? No. No. The healing happens. If he says to the deaf man, uh, be made whole, what does the deaf have to do? Nothing. Nothing. So when he says to a sinner, go and sin no more, what the sinner has to do? Nothing. Nothing. Think. Think. By Jesus speaking, he imputes to her His righteousness. And that is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Go and sin no more. It is not a demand. It's a gift. The gift of righteousness. Because if if he's trying to make a demand out, out out of her, how is she any better than when she came into his presence before? What's changed? Nothing. But no, what Jesus is saying is, Woman, neither do I condemn you. Why can, how, how is Jesus legitimately allowed to not condemn her? Because Jesus has to condemn her according to the law. Is Jesus breaking the law by not condemning her? He did condemn himself. And therefore he says, go and sin no more. And that is why, and all the Pharisees who are watching the scene, They are confused. And Jesus turns to them and says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me or walks facing me, who walks looking at me, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Why? He's answering this question that they have in the mind. How is this woman walking free? He's saying, Jesus is saying, I am that light. I am the face that she has seen. That face is a face that exudes the light and the righteousness of of peace, exudes the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus is your glory. And she walks away 
free of any condemnation, having the light of life. Amen? 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 And that's the face. And that's what she walks away. And that's what walks away. And in that same passage, Jesus talks about Abraham. And, and I will close with this. Abra uh, John, John chapter 8. We are in which chapter right now? John chapter 8, correct? Right? Okay, let's go to the same chapter. John chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus says, I gave Abraham the same deal. What deal? Read it. Can somebody read it? John, John chapter 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Okay. So look at what he's saying. Jesus is talking. Same chapter. Because they are still, still talking to him. He says, Abraham had an opportunity to get the same deal. What deal? To see his face. To see his face. And what did Abraham do with the deal? He took it. <laughs> Say, Abraham took the deal. Abraham. What was the deal? Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Can somebody read Genesis chapter 17, verse 1? When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. That's it. Look at the word. This is the deal that God gave Abraham. He gave the same deal that he just gave to that woman who was caught in adultery. And what was the deal? He says, Abraham took the deal. The deal was Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord, L-O-R-D capitalized, appeared to him. Who shows up? Jesus. How do you know it's Jesus and not God the Father? L-O-R-D. L-O-R-D and? Appeared. Appeared. See, because it's a physical manifestation of an invisible God. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus shows up to Abraham and said to Abraham, uh, gave him a deal. What was the deal? I am, I, am, I am almighty God. Means what? I can do anything. What can I do? I can make you blameless. But what is the terms of the deal? The terms of the deal is this. I want you to listen to it. If you don't get anything out of this message, take the deal that Abraham got. And Abraham prospered exceedingly. What is the deal? Jesus shows up to Abraham and says, walk before me. You don't understand it in the English, but you should read it in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it says, and I will read it. And, and forgive me if it is loud. La pene veyehim tamim. He says, la pene, means, see my face. Vaye, means be. Tamim, means perfect. <laughs> so, Jesus gives Abraham a deal. And the deal is, Abraham, I can do anything. Yes or no? Abraham says, yeah, you can do anything. But I, I cannot break the law. Right? I cannot break the law. But I have a deal. And the deal is this. Walk before my face. 
and be tamim. How many of you know what the mean tamim is? Anybody has taken Arabic? Yes. Actually, tamim means complete. Complete. Perfect. Blameless. Exactly what James is talking about. Let, let per, patience have its perfect work and the perfect law of liberty, lacking nothing. Just walk before my face, Abraham, and walk before this mirror and be blameless. So the, Abraham said, what a deal. I just have to keep walking before your face and I will be blameless? Yes. Abraham said, I'll take this deal. And guess what he did? He took the deal. So the guy, show, uh, he goes to Egypt. He's afraid that his wife, Sarah, will be molested and taken as a wife by uh, the Egyptians. What does he do? He lies. He says, Sarah is my wife, uh, my sister. Is he committed uh, a lie? Yes. Is he broken the law? Yes. Correct. So now should he be expected to be punished? Yes. Yes. Is he expecting judgment? Yes. What does he do? He looks to the mirror. And what, wh who shows up? In whose dream? God shows up in a dream to the king and says, you are a dead man. Hold on. <laughs> God showed up in a dream to the wrong man. <laughs> Abraham is the guy who is told a lie. He is the guy who is supposed to die. But God shows up in a dream to the king who is legitimately taken Sarah and his wife because Sarah is Abraham's sister. And God says to the king, you're going to die because that man is a prophet. <laughs> this, guy, <laughs> this is so funny. The guy just spoke a lie and God calls him a prophet. At last I know, prophets don't lie. But what's happening out here? The deal. the deal is working. The deal is working. He's walking before him and is blameless. And guess what happened? Go back and read the scripture. Abraham continued to prosper. Genesis chapter 21 verse 1. And Abraham was old and well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. The key to blessing. Remember James chapter 1? He said, this man who continues in it will be what? Blessed in all that he does. Blessed in how many things? All. All things. What do you see here in Genesis chapter 24 verse 4? Uh, Genesis chapter 24, 24 verse 1. He, Abraham is blessed in how many things? All things. Is that a coincidence that the Holy Spirit makes intentionally adds that thing that he's blessed in all things why because when you look into the face you will end up yes because not just because he looked into the mirror what did he do he accepted the truth he continued to believe what the mirror said about him and that produced children that produced wealth that produced everything because the terms of the deal was FaceTime. And whatever you hear during FaceTime, you believe. And you continue in it. And you will prosper in everything. Hallelujah. Noah had the same deal. 
God said, Noah, come into the ark. I have seen that you are righteous before my face in this generation. Noah got the deal. Noah survived the flood because Noah was righteous before his face. The word is face. It's in the translation. This is the uh, translation, the Smith's literal translation. And I'll read it. It doesn't sound, sound like good English, but it's exactly correct in the Hebrew. I saw you just to my face. <laughs> I saw you just to my face. He's talking about Noah. So Noah was just to the face. You know, Enoch did not die. Why? Why did Enoch did not die? He walked with God and he was not. You know the word there, walked before God? What shows up in the Hebrew? Face. Face shows up in the Hebrew. <laughs> he walked in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he never died. Because you can never die when you see the face of Jesus Christ. Everybody... The Bible talks about who saw the face of Jesus. Like for example, who, who all saw the face of Jesus Christ in the Bible? Give me examples. Abraham saw. Noah saw. Uh, uh, Enoch saw. Who else? There is one person who had a reputation that he saw the face of Jesus. Jacob, Jacob saw. And I will cover that in the next life team. Oh my goodness. There are four pages full of the experience of Jacob. Jacob prospered. In fact, he called the place where he saw Jesus face to face, Penel. Penel means I saw God face to face and I survived. My goodness, his day, he changed. His name changed the day he saw the face of Jesus. He called that place Penel. Later on, God said, go to that place when I show you my face and call that name Bethel. What does Bethel mean? House of God. Why? The place of the face is the place of, of God. God. The house of God. You know, in the whole Bible, there is one book that has more Hebrew words regarding face than any other by word, book. Which, which, which book could that be? There is one book in the Bible. There are more mentions of the word face than any other book in the Bible. Ezekiel. Ezekiel talks about God's temple. And because he talks about the temple of God... The whole chapter is full of face, face, face. The lamp is facing, the pillar is facing, the gate is facing. The everything is the face because everything in the temple is about the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cherubims have a face. The man has a face. God has a face. The river has a face. Everything is face. The Hebrew word is pene, 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 pene. Just shows up all over the Bible in that book. Why? Because the place of the face. This will bless you. Go to Gen uh, uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And Jesus is talking to the Father. And praying to the Father. And finally concludes this whole prayer. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me 
He's talking about father. I want them to be with me. Why? Look at the, where I am. He's talking about in the future or right now? Right now. Right now. So he says, I want each of you believers, everybody who believes in me, father. Jesus is talking to God the father. He says, father, make sure that they are with me. What is the purpose? That they may see my power. They may see how good I am. Or what? That they may behold my glory. What is the glory? My face. The only purpose that God has that you are with Jesus is what? To see his face. And that's the, the reason for the place. Write it down. <laughs> and it rhymes. The reason for the place is the face. The reason for the place is the face. The reason why you are with Jesus right now is because God the Father wants you to constantly see his face. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. And the Lord says, since we have received the same ministry of preaching the face. You know, when Jesus appointed his disciples, the Bible uses a very interesting word. Very interesting word. Very interesting word. When he appointed disciples, he said, this is how he said, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face. He appointed 12 disciples and sent them before his face. Why? He says, when you go, when you enter into the house, first, first say peace to this house. Why? That's what he says. That's what he will say. So he says, when you talk to people, talk like I will talk. Because make sure you reflect what I will reflect. Don't go with a grumpy face because I don't have that face. I have a smiley face. I have a peace face. So when you minister, remove the mountain. Oh my goodness. you You have to know this. You have to know this. I don't even know where to... I have to stop. <laughs> because it's like... But, but there is so much stuff. But I have to stop. But okay. Uh, go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay. Let me take 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you get a... Uh, I don't have the time to cover 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But the, the whole chapter is about the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened was he's comparing two faces. Remember the law... And the new covenant. The law also had a face. What was the face of the law? Yeah, but whose face was that? Moses. Correct. So when Moses came with the law on Mount Sinai, what did the people do? They had to cover him up. They they ran away from Moses. Why? What was that face shining? That face also had a glory. And what was happening to when they saw Moses' face? They ran away from that face. And uh, 
it, it, uh, I, I have the reference, but you can go and check it out. So they ran away from the Moses. Here it says, if you look at in uh, 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 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. But unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, they were afraid to look at the face of Moses, because that face condemned them. Because what was the face of Moses telling them? You're guilty. You're a bunch of adulterers partying around when I am giving the law. You're all going to die. And they were like, they were going like rats and cockroaches running away from Moses when he came down. Because his face was glowing. It was a face of judgment. But, but Jesus came down from this mountain of transfiguration where his face glow and and it came and people ran towards him because what was his face saying? You are perfect. Your sins are forgiven. I remember your sins no more because I am taken this judgment. And look at what he says. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the spirit, uh, spirit and where the spirit of the Lord there is liberty. He's talking about that perfect law of liberty mirror in the face of Jesus Christ. And verse 18. He talks about that mirror. The mirror shows up here. We all with unveiled face, say unveiled. We do not hide our face from the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Adam and Eve ran away and hid their face. Cain hid and hide their face. Why? We don't hide from the face. We are not afraid of the principal's office. Bobby, you're not afraid of the principal's office. Why? Because who is in the principal's office? Jesus. Your father. <laughs> Yeah, and Jesus has the face of the father and looks just like his father and loves you. And he says, come on. It says, we with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror. See, when you look at the face of Jesus, you're supposed to see Jesus, correct? Right. Okay, when you look in a mirror, do you see the mirror? Or do you see yourself? So, that's a, so are you confused or not? When you look into the face of Jesus, you're supposed to see Jesus. When I look into the face of the mirror, I'm supposed to see the mirror or should I see myself? Myself. But yet, the Holy Spirit says Jesus' face is a mirror. Why? Think about it. I look into the face of Alkesh one day and, I, and I, Alkesh looks just like me. What will I say, Alkesh is? Correct. You will say, Alkesh is a mirror. Not because Alkesh is not Alkesh, but because Alkesh looks just like me. And we are almost very close. We are getting there. We just have to wear the same clothes. Right? <laughs> I think he's fairer than me, but I'm getting there. That's a work in progress, right? We be like perfect, because not because he's lost his identity. But because he is just like me. So he says, when we look with unveiled faces, we see in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That means the righteousness of Jesus. So when you look in the face of Jesus, you're seeing Jesus' perfection, but you're seeing yourself perfect. So how do you get rid of diseases? Wake up in the morning and look at Jesus in the mirror and says, you look good. And what happens? That power, because the mirror cannot lie. Everything has to line up to the truth. So if it is not lining up, it will make it line up. Because what did God say to Abraham? 
I am almighty. Walk before me and be. Because you look at me, whatever is the reason for what the difference is, I am almighty and it is my job that you match up. That almighty is for your benefit. Say that almighty. Almighty. In that verse, that verse is for my benefit. It's not like, oh, I'm almighty, walk before me and try to be like me. No. <laughs> He's saying, I am almighty, even if you mess up, because you're looking at my face, I can keep match you up with my righteousness. Just like he told the woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He's not telling her to try to sin no more. He's, try, he's telling her what? Hey, I am the light of the world. Like, let me ask you a question. When the sun rises up in the morning, is it morning for the sun? When the sun rises up in the morning, it is not morning for the sun. It's always good morning for the sun. The, it was never night for the sun. It is good morning for you. When you look into the mirror of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not good for him. It's good for you because it's morning for you. That is why in Genesis chapter 1, and we'll go back there, when God saw the light, he divided the light from the darkness and he called the light what? Day. day. He calls Jesus Christ day. That's why we are called sons of the day. We are called sons of light because there is no night with you, JR. You can only prosper if you continue to believe the witness of the mirror. And the witness of the mirror says, this righteousness does not pass away because the sun never becomes night. He's eternally morning. So when does it become morning for you? When we look at him. When you look at the sun. Every part of the earth that looks at the sun is day. Have you noticed that? Isn't that a coincidence? Isn't that the coincidence that every place on the earth which is called the day, the sun, they are facing the sun. That's a hint. If you want morning in your life, do what? Face the sun. It is not for the sun's benefit that it is morning. It is for your benefit. Hallelujah. 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 Milu is like, okay, get ready with your closing. You know, send before your face. And there is one face that you will never see. When Pharaoh, when the ninth plague was over, Pharaoh makes a statement to Moses. And this is what he said. Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, so Pharaoh says a statement. He says, this is the ninth plague. The final plague has not yet happened. Mo, Mo, Pharaoh says to Moses, be careful. See my face no more. This is what the law is telling you. See my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said what? You have spoken well. You have spoken well. You have spoken well. What? 
He said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face. Hallelujah. As a believer, we have nothing to do with the law. We have nothing to do with condemnation. We have nothing to do with Satan. We never go to him and pass a test. We will never go to him and give him the privilege to fail you. I will never go to Saudi Arabia. I will never wear a burqa. You know what I mean? What I'm saying is, I will never break that law of that land because I will never go there. You know? Uh, why will I go to a land and I will be called a transgressor? Why should I take that test? I will never go to Pharaoh. Do you see the powerful implication? Don't go to the law. Don't earn brownie points because the law will never tell you that you're perfect and will always give you judgments and will always punish you, will always curse you. But you see, but I, I feel good that I'm better than him and better than her. But for to prove that, you have to bring out the law. You have to bring the mirror of Pharaoh. The moment you bring the mirror of Pharaoh, the law says, the day you shall see me, you shall die. And Moses said, you have spoken well. That's one mirror I'm never going to see. You know, where is that mirror lying right now for Moses? That mirror is lying under the waters of the Red Sea. Because that face that the Pharaoh said, be careful not to see is today under the waters of the Red Sea. You know, the law has been fulfilled in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's under the waters of the Jordan. It has been fulfilled. Don't drag it up and look into it. It is under the sea. And that's what we told in the last message. Cast this mountain into the sea because that sea, that mountain has that mirror and that mirror is under the sea. I will never see that mirror again. I will never see it. God made a good job of it. He made sure that Pharaoh will never see Moses again. Did you know, and this is powerful, I know it's getting long, because Moses saw Jesus' face, God brought Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration and showed Moses the shining face of Jesus. Because he refused to see Pharaoh's face, God, Moses continues to see the face of Jesus forever. There were two people who saw the shining face of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who was it? Moses and Elijah. And you know, Elijah saw the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we covered it in the last live team message. He stood up on this mountain and there was a big voice and there was a big earthquake and God was not on the earthquake. There was a big fire and God was not in the fire. There was a big wind. There was no, uh, God was not in the wind. There was a still small voice and God was that voice. And he said, come out. And he came out. And what did Elijah do? He covered his face with this mantle because he was facing the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus told Elijah at that point of time? He's saying, what are you doing here on this mountain? Because you're not supposed to be on this mountain. Because he was on Mount Sinai. Remember? He's trying to get his brownie points from Mount Sinai. <laughs> In fact, he's telling Jesus at that point of time, I am the only one who is left of all the ones who follow you. And Jesus says to him, I've reserved for myself, what, 7,000? I have preserved them because of my mercy. 
not because of their works. I've done it. Do you want to be in that side? And God, because he saw Jesus' face, God preserved him. The Bible says there was no man who saw God face to face like Moses. Look at the verse, the, the credit of all the things that Moses is commended with in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, he looked to him who is invisible and endured. Think about it. Look at the, look at the certificate. He said, Moses looked to him who was invisible. That means he saw whom? Jesus. Jesus. Because he is the, in, physic, in, he's the Im, uh, image of the invisible God. So he saw Jesus and he endured. The Bible says Moses lived for 120 years. His eyes never dimmed and his natural vigor never diminished. How? What happened? Duh! He saw Jesus' face and he endured. You want to live forever? You want to have great health? Look into the face, face of Jesus Christ. Anybody who sees the face of Jesus Christ lives forever. David says in Acts, he's read, I always saw the Lord before my face. Therefore, I will not be shaken. No wonder. The guy, he's committed adultery, killed his adulterer, uh, uh, his uh, wife's husband. He did all kinds of things. Yet, God says, the son of David is going to come to save man. Jesus is the son of David. Why? Because he, he said, I always saw the Lord before my Therefore, I'll not be shaken. Because what? He used to wake up. So he, he, he did crazy stuff. But in the morning, he would wake up and see the face of Jesus. And Jesus would say, hey, you look good, David. So he says, oh, no judgments will come on me. And I will live on my throne. And nobody can overtake me. Guess what? David lived a long life, full of years. And he remained king till he died. Why? What is special about David? Because he saw the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said. Abraham saw my face. Noah saw my face. Guys, are you all getting the hint? Elijah was boasting. Like, I am the only guy. Rightful. And how did he get the boast? Because he's on Mount Sinai. Because the boast will only come on Mount Sinai. But he saw Jesus. See, Jesus did not condemn him. And that's what he says. That is a face of no condemnation. It is also the face of healing. In Job, it talks about it. He says, if a man is close to death, he's about to die. And if he, he's, all his bones are wasted away. And you have situation, you have loved ones who are going through incurable conditions or diseases where they're about to die. You know what is the solution that Job says for that man is? He says, if there is a messenger for this man, the guy who's about to die, it's in Job chapter 33, verse 19. If there's a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man, H-I-S, capital H-I-S, his uprightness. If somebody can show this dying man the face of Jesus and how righteous Jesus is, guess what's going to happen? Then he, that means Jesus, will be gracious to him and say, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
I have found the answer. The moment you see the face of Jesus, however horrible your health condition is, and you see righteousness in the face of Jesus, Jesus will say to his father, God will say to uh, hell, I found the ransom. He is looking at Jesus, my son, his righteousness. Guess what? His flesh shall be young like a child. My goodness, transform him completely. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy. The face shows up. He restores to man his righteousness. So the power of the face for healing from incurable disease is in Job chapter 33 verse 19. And let me close with I've been closing but let me close with one more. Did you know that this face qualifies you for something that even Lucifer couldn't get? You know, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down from the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of the earth. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you have been brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So Lucifer couldn't get to ascend to the most high place. Yes or no? He couldn't. But yet Psalms 24 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart. He who is not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, the God of his salvation. He says there is a man who can ascend to the most high place. This man should be blameless. He should have a pure heart. His soul should have been not lifted up to an idol. He should have not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord. Guess what? And righteousness from the Lord of his salvation. So who is this man? Psalm says 24 verse 6. This is Jacob. Hold on. I thought Jacob is a deceiver. Jacob is the guy who (laughs) stole his brother's birthright. Jacob is the guy who was scheming and doing all kinds of things. He says, this is Jacob? So you mean Jacob got into the place where Lucifer couldn't get in? I don't understand this. Hold, Hold on. So he says, this is Jacob. Not only Jacob. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Hallelujah. Why? Because Jacob saw Jesus' face when he struggled with him and called that place Peniel. He says, that benefit Jacob received, that benefit you receive. Everybody who seeks the face of Jesus Christ. Rejoice. You have attained what Lucifer could not. You are in that most high place. The power of the place of the face 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the place of the face is the place of open heavens. When Jesus saw Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree, and he saw, and Nathaniel came walking towards Jesus because Philip brought him and said, Look who we found. We found the Messiah. So Nathaniel is walking towards Jesus. As he's walking towards Jesus, who is Nathaniel walking towards? He's walking towards whom? He's walking towards what? Since we studied all this message, what should we answer be? He's walking towards what? His face. He's walking towards his face. And what is the face about to tell him? He says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Man, the guy, Nathaniel has not done anything good. In fact, Nathaniel is shocked. He says, how do you know me? He said, before you came to me, when you sat under the fig tree, I saw you. He gives him the benefit of righteousness and blamelessness just because Nathaniel walked towards his face. And, and Jesus says, and Nathaniel says, you truly are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus says, oh, you believe because I just told you that you are, I saw you before when you sat under the fig tree? Behold, you will see heavens open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of God. The place of the face is the place of open heavens. Anytime you see the place of, face of Jesus, it becomes the place of open heavens. Jacob saw the face of Jesus. Suddenly it says, I saw a ladder and angels ascending and descending from that place. That place was called Bethel. Name change from Peniel to Bethel. I don't have time today to explain to him. Uh, God kept telling Jacob, go back to Bethel. Go back to Bethel, to the place where you saw the face of Jesus. Go back to Bethel because that's, that's the place of your prosperity. Go back to Bethel. That's the place of your victory. Go back to Bethel. Why Bethel? Bethel is the place of God, the house of God. But that's the place where he saw Jesus' face. Because that's the place of your open heavens. You want the open heavens over your house? Make it the place of your face encounter. And that's the face of open heavens. Stephen, when you're standing before and getting condemned, he said, I see what? Heavens open. open. But what was matching with that? Why did the heavens open for Stephen there? I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of Father. What was he seeing? What was Stephen seeing at that point of time when heavens had opened? He saw the face of Jesus. The place of the face is the place of open heavens. I'm telling you, you billions will flow towards you. You keep your face towards Jesus. You keep your face, your healing will spring out and your flesh will become like a young baby's. If you have leprosy, you will become healed. Oh, supernatural victories will happen to you. Great wealth will hunt you down. Because you had face time. And you believed what you saw from that face. Hallelujah. 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 When finally Jacob showed up, he was afraid of the face of his brother Esau. And finally when he saw Esau, because he had seen the face of Jesus, 
when he saw the face of Esau, Esau was very loving towards Jacob. And Jacob makes a statement before Esau. He says, Jacob called and Jacob said, no, please, if you have found, if I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. Inasmuch as I have seen your face, as though I have seen the face of God. Why was Jacob so preoccupied with the face of God? When he saw, when he saw Esau, he's saying, when I saw you, I, I have seen the face of God. Why? Why? Because when he saw Jesus, he saw loving, compassionate. And when he saw Esau, Esau was also as compassionate. And he says, my goodness, your face is just like the face of God. Because he was very familiar with the compassionate and noun-condemning, noun-fault-finding, noun-hurting face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see the face of Jesus, guess what? Every other face that shows up, shows up like the face of Jesus. You receive favor. For the Bible says in Proverbs that the fa- in the face of the king is the favor of the king. And I'll finally close with this. this. This will bless you so much. You know, finally, when Jesus was resurrected, John chapter 20, verse 6. So they're running into the tomb. Correct? And they're about to enter into the tomb. John chapter 20, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And when he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that has been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Hold on. You never meditated on that. I'm telling you. (laughs) You never understood why. Why was the... You know what happened? When Jesus was resurrected, his linen clothes was not moved. What he was wrapped in. But one part of the cloth was folded by itself and lying in its place. What was that part? What was the cloth? It was called a handkerchief. But the the translation is incorrect in the English. If you look at various translations, it says, and if you look at it, what does it say? Face cloth. Face cloth. Say face cloth. So what was that cloth doing? It had covered his face. So after resurrection, what did God do the cloth that covered the face of Jesus? How do you get your righteousness from now? Looking at his face. Looking at his face. So for eternally, his face is uncovered for you. The resurrected face of Jesus does not have a face cloth. And now you know why that face cloth was folded and set up in its place. So that while the church is in the tomb, right now the church is in the tomb. Why? Do you have a resurrected body or natural body? Natural body. Correct? But... Is the natural uh, Jesus body subject to corruption or not corruption? So while Jesus body lied in the tomb, did it rot or did not rot? It did not. Why? There was no sin in it. But I thought Jesus took sin in his body. 
but he had finished he had finished paying the price that's why he said it is finished now the body is natural body but there is no sin in it body exactly like you and i body there is a message on the life team website called a sinless place and go and listen to that that's the message about this righteousness like why do you have a natural body satan cannot touch your body yes you have a natural body but this body is without sin because it is now covered by the righteousness the linen garments of jesus why the body of jesus is the church of jesus yes or no correct the head of jesus is in heaven jesus the body of jesus is on the earth correct so the jesus body is on the earth but covered in linen garments which is the righteousness of jesus christ therefore the church will be prevented from corruption as long as you meditate on the righteousness of jesus christ but why does he has to leave the head uncovered you have to continue to look at the natural face of jesus or the resurrected face of jesus and that is why we see the resurrected face of jesus in our natural bodies hallelujah the resurrected face of jesus and that is why if you notice nowhere in the scripture there is physical description of the face of jesus christ there was nowhere in the bible a physical description because jesus god doesn't want you to see what his natural face his natural face he want to see your resurrected face the resurrected face says what remember when he stooped up down and raised himself up the second time what did he tell the woman who was caught in adultery that is what the natural the resurrected face is saying where are those accusers neither do i condemn you so are you hearing this from jesus if you are not then that is not the face of jesus christ it's an imposter talking to you most likely it's a snake most likely it is the snake and i'll close with this final thing the last words of david It's in 2 Samuel chapter 23 verses 1 to 7. And these are the last words of David. Thus says David the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. If somebody says the last words of David, you want to play very close attention. Yes or no? Yes. David is getting ready to describe the face of Jesus Christ as his final words he says the spirit of the lord spoke by me and his tongue and his word was on my tongue the god of israel said the rock of israel spoke to me and this is what the spirit of god said to david and he says these are my last words to you he says he who rules over men must be just he's talking about a man he says the rock of israel spoke to me who is the rock of israel the lord jesus christ spoke to me he who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of god and look at the description and he shall be like the light of the morning our oh, beautiful language when the sun rises you see the light of the morning when the sun rises number 1 a morning without clouds 
like the tender grass springing out of the earth by the clear shining after the rain. George, is a song coming up? Absolutely. What a, what, a, what a description. This is the face of Jesus. It's like the light of the morning when the sun comes up. A morning without clouds. Like the tender grass springing out of the earth. Like the clear shining after the rain. If you don't see Jesus like this, you see nothing, brother. This is, this is, does this, this face bring you condemnation or righteousness? And look at what he says. The next verse. Although my house is not so like with the God. He says, <laughs> he says my house was not like this. Yet he has made an everlasting covenant with me. Ordered in all things and secure. For this is my salvation and my desire. Will he not make it increase? But he says, I didn't, I didn't do this. I couldn't keep the standard, but I don't care. He's made an everlasting covenant with me. David, that is so David. That is so David. David says, I've kept the Lord before my face and I will not be shaken. <laughs> He's like, God, this is so beautiful. Jesus shows up to David and says, if you're going to rule Israel, you better have a face like this. So David says, ah, I cannot keep this face. But nevertheless, I still have to be blessed. Because you have an everlasting covenant with me. That's David. Why? Because he saw the face of Jesus. That face says, David, you can never be condemned. I will, you're always blameless. Because you always keep me before your face. You keep looking at me in the mirror. What do I do? And you continue in it. You never forget it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Are you blessed? Hallelujah. The blessing key. The face. The face. The face. And there is so much more stuff and we don't have time. But I think we covered a lot of good points. And there is a lot of study that you want to do. If you want notes, you can definitely let me know. Uh, I have all the verses. You can actually meditate on it. I can send it to you. But let's just pray. Let's just pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace, O oh Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, because we are so blessed, Lord Jesus. Because you revealed your face to this, your children, O oh Master. Oh, Master, Father, do we even know? The Bible says when you said the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters, the face of the deep, because your face is like the face of the deep, oh Lord, the riches of the deep. You can, we can never stop exploring how good your mercy is, how deep your mercy is towards us, how clean your mercy is towards us, how fresh your mercy is towards us. It's like the morning sun, O oh Master. It's like the dew grass, O oh Master. It is like the, it is like the uh, clear shining after the rain. It's like a morning without clouds towards me, O oh Lord Jesus. You never find fault with me, Father. Jesus, you never find fault with me. Oh my God, Lord. My friends may find fault with me. My bosses may find fault with me. But you will never find fault with me. But Lord, we confess, just like Jacob, Esau, like we see Esau's face and we saw the face of God. We believe because we saw the face of God, we receive favor from our bosses, from our co-workers, from our spouses, from our relatives, for our brethren, from everybody, oh Lord, because the face of the king we have seen. 
and we will grow in favor with God and with men. And Father, I pray that supernatural victory shall now surround us, O Lord. And Father, that every hurt and every evil that the enemy has tried to look and examine ourselves, for we've stopped looking at our natural face in a natural mirror. We look into the perfect law of liberty and we continue in it. Father, let blessings overtake us and let us be blessed in everything that our hand touches, O Lord. For we have seen the face of Jesus Christ and he is good. He is good. He is good, Lord Jesus. Jesus, you are good, Jesus. Your face towards us is good, Jesus. Oh, you're good, Lord Jesus. Just let us worship the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Thank you. can you just sing that song, some of the verses in that last song that you just sang? The Lord bless you and make his face shine upon you. The Lord said, this is how you will bless my people. This is how you will bless my people. Tell them. The, let my face shine upon you. Let my countenance, let my means my face be uh, shine towards you. This is how you will bless my people. You will bless my people with my face, says the Lord. You will bless my people with my face. Bless them with my face, says the Lord. Don't show them a grumpy face. Don't show them a hard face. Don't show them a face that makes a demand from them. Show them a face that I don't find fault with them. Show them a face that I'm always pleased with them. Show them a place that I rejoice with them. Show them a place that they are accepted in me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And keep you, make his face shine, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Hallelujah. Just receive it right now. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray for your fruitfulness and signs and wonders following this word. Father, I pray for the blessing of the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest who shines his face upon all of us. And blesses us. We look to your face. And we are glad. And our hearts rejoice. For there is no accusation against us. So when we have your report. And we see your face. What can man do to us? Who can find fault with me? Are you afraid? Of messing up? 
of accusation? Who can find fault with you? You face me and I don't find fault in you. Or you will be blessed in everything that your hand touches because you continue in my report. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you will seal this word and your blessing will manifest abundantly like a river that never ceases. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen.